in general, an, an openness to experiment with new technologies and try things out. Also, I would say some sort of understanding of how these things actually work from a technical perspective, at least to a, a small degree is necessary. Because if they don't have that, it is very difficult for them to even see the possibilities and also how you can potentially combine multiple of these tools. So something that I mentioned earlier, you can combine a language model with text to speech, and then you suddenly have a completely different product. And if you combine that again with voice to text, you can have an earpiece and combine it with a database. You can have an earpiece, ask your assistant a question about all the information in your database. Hello and welcome back to the Austrian Artificial Intelligence Podcast with me, Pasika Manuel. For the last two years, AI has been flooded by large language models. But how many companies do you actually know that really manage to make use of large language models or LLMs in their products and services? Well, today on the show, I'm talking to Markus Keiblinger, managing partner of Texteros, a startup that focuses on building custom LLM solutions for companies to help them with optimizing their business. Markus will tell us about his experience working and talking to these companies. He will share with us what these companies expect from large language models and what is actually required for projects to be successful. We will discuss how Texturus is focusing on retriever augmented generation solutions, RAG systems in short. With RAG being a mechanism that makes it possible to provide information to an LLM in a controlled manner. So the LLM can answer questions or follow instructions, making use of the information provided. This enables companies to make use of the data to solve problems with the LLM without training or even fine-tuning the models. On the show, Marcus will tell us of one of these RAG projects and we will contrast building RAG systems based on service providers offerings like OpenAI or self-hosted open source models. Last but not least, we talk about new use cases for emerging multimodal models and the long-term perspective that exists for custom solutions providers like them focusing on building integrated solutions. I hope you enjoy this episode and benefit from it. Hello, Markus. Thank you very much for coming on to the show. Yeah, nice to be with you, Manuel, and thank you for the invitation. You're very welcome. I'm happy to be talking to you today about Texteros, your company that you have been co-founding and about what we have discussed of Mike to be contrasting and looking a bit of like the possibilities of applying open source models and contrasting them with LLM providers and similar. But maybe before we start talking about this, maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about your background, how you came to the topic of machine learning, artificial intelligence and similar and what motivated you personally. Mm -hmm. So at university, I did a management science degree, which is basically a traditional management degree combined with data science courses. So I already had a little bit of exposure to the technical parts as well. Um, and back in universities was one of my university professors who really got me very interested into data science. As it's often the case, one specific person, one specific professor can really have a very profound effect if they're very passionate about the topic. And that was the case for me as well. So I already got interested in it back then, but not really on the language model side, more of kind of traditional data science. And like we also played around with uh, neural nets um, and some basic uh, NLP, uh, mm -hmm. so natural, natural language processing. Um, but then also during university, One of my friends reached out 
and told me that there's a new startup who kind of have an early access thing that you can apply to for research purposes. And I applied to that. And that startup back then, that was OpenAI, they back then still just had a simple Microsoft Forms to sign up for the research access. I then actually got approval to that as well and got to play around with it quite early. And me and him both realized back then that this technology has a lot of potential and started thinking about what we could do with that and what sort of business case would make sense in the context of, of that technology. Mm -hmm. Originally, one idea that he had is to build a sort of platform of little applets that can solve specific tasks. So you just have the language model tweak to something a bit more specific. So for example, for writing a LinkedIn post or for brainstorming ideas for a business session, things like that. When things started to get a little bit more concrete, we then started about how we can actually, yeah, build the whole platform. And the first thing that you probably realized then is that you need some money to get things started. And none of us really had a lot of experience with startup fundraising. Mm -hmm. um, also not really a good overview of, of how grants work within Austria. And then basically what we thought is the easiest way for us to get some money to get us started is to actually use what we already can do well um, to work with that new technology and basically help companies implement it in a way that actually makes sense to them. So that's what we started doing then. And we took on first clients. And then once we started doing that, we actually realized that that's working really well. And that basically kind of made us shift more, more towards that direction. And that's basically what we're doing now, that we're helping companies take advantage of all these efficiency gains that you can get through those language models and implement them in a way that's actually deeply integrated with existing business processes. Very nice. Maybe before we then talk a little bit more about the individual project that you're doing in Simula, I just want to shortly take back and take a step back. As you said, right, it sounded like you have been already at university very much focused on, as you said, building your first companies with your colleagues in Simula. This is Dexterous, if I understand it correctly. Can you, if just for our listeners, because I think this is in this sense inspirational, I think in Austria, it's, oh, it's not that common that, that people already university levels necessarily think about building them, their startups or their companies. Can you tell us, our listeners, a little bit of what motivated you and how it came about? Did you have the opportunity to take some infrastructure, some pro programs that were part of the university that supported you in creating this? your company and yeah a little bit there for example for our listeners which could be interesting for people that maybe are thinking about doing similar things mm -hmm. maybe some clarification so textures we actually didn't start while i was at university that was later on i was just at university that i kind of got an initial interest in basically data science more generally but then also working specifically on, on language tasks it was later on that we got down the rabbit hole of, of yeah, how, the whole implementation of, of what you can actually build with those new tools. It was also just during university where I got that initial research access, but the actual company was much later. Although I did actually have a first project in university already. So for example, with one of my friends, I wanted one of my course mates, I wanted to basically start a event business, taking a concept that I, I knew back from Austria, which student organization 
was doing here of basically combining seminars where you actually teach people valuable skills for life and combine that with a party at the end. So you have both uh, a learning experience, but also fun for the students. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we incorporated that actually in the UK, but I never got started because basically right after we incorporated COVID hit and we then decided that we didn't want to do online events because everyone yeah, was already dreading that anyway. Uh, yeah, but that was just a, a first dabble. And the, the textures, the company now came much later. But I did already in university um, know or at least have uh, yeah, an idea that I, I did want to go into business with my own business at, at some point. And that also kind of influenced my decisions for after university. So what I thought about wh- when I thought about what to do after university I thought about what kind of skills I would need to run my business well. And one of the things that you will hear from a lot of people is that you need some sort of sales skills that you can actually get revenue. Because if you don't have any any money coming in, you don't really have a sustainable business. I know there are a lot of businesses that just scale like crazy for years and don't make any money, but I didn't want to go down that route. I wanted to have it be sustainable from the very beginning and just Mm -hmm. um, build up from there. So, and then I also knew I wanted to do something related with tech. It wasn't that specific at the time. So basically what I did then is just look for a sales role within technology companies. And yeah, that's also what I then did. I stayed in London. So I also went to university in London and worked there. But then at some point I I realized that I've basically gotten all the skills and, and understanding of the processes, which was the main thing that I wanted to get from that role to then move into something else. And also basically during my time at that company, the idea with Textures was becoming more concrete. We were starting to form a team. That whole process takes quite a while to Mm -hmm. come together, to find a good team, to experiment working with each other. But yeah, that was the time where that started forming, where the idea became more concrete. And then basically at that point where I also said, okay, I've, I've gotten what I wanted to get from that role was also the time when I wasn't really happy with London as a city anymore. And then basically through a friend of mine, I I found out that there's a flat opening up in Vienna that I could move to. And then I thought, okay, that's just the perfect time to just make a clean cut, quit that job, get rid of my flat in London, come back to Austria and then start working on that company. I see. That's that's basically the transition. Okay, interesting. Then maybe, as you've already said, let then uh, let's talk a bit about Texeros and like your initial mod- your initial let's say way that you reached out to companies. You already said that you focused initially like on or still doing this in part helping companies to make use of large language models to solve problems for them. Can you maybe l- tell us a little bit about what are the expectations then actually that that companies have that you reach out to? Because like very large language models, AI in general is very much hyped. No, there are many people that, although having no technical understanding around it, have very high expectations of it. So can you tell us a little bit about when you reach out to companies, what expectations do they have? Mm -hmm. So it depends really on the company. Some companies are quite well aware of what is possible and what they want to do. And in those cases, they basically let us know what their goal is. And it's more of just an implementation project where you build something very specific In other cases, they're like, okay, this is something interesting. What could we do with this? And then basically it's a combination of consulting work with implementation where you give them advice, you give them an overview of what is possible. 
And then, yeah, once they've decided what they actually want to do and what would be useful for them, you start building that. Mm -hmm. I see. And what do you then see for your role to really understand like those companies? Can you tell us a little bit about, are we talking about specific brand? type of companies, for example, that you are focusing on in this sense, like, like the, the added value that you are providing, right? In many ways. So what are the companies, let's say, uh, what is the additional, the skills and the knowledge that like their companies are actually searching for when, for example, they're reaching out to you or starting mm -hmm. to start a project with you. Mm -hmm. So it's not really focused on any specific industry. It's more focused on a type of problem that they want to solve. So something that we've noticed that is quite common is rack systems. So they basically will have some sort of existing database and they want to combine that with the capabilities of a language model to make that data more accessible. So that could either be an internal database or in some cases an external database or maybe a combination of both. Yeah, combining that with a clean interface where they can view all of that data and also have some sort of conversational interface. That's one thing that's quite common. Then other use cases that you might have is that uh, you want also the, the voice aspect. So for example, you have existing texts that are human written and you want to convert that into other formats. So for example, what you could do in media industry is that you take existing articles and you convert them into easy to understand language. So people who struggle to read more complex articles maybe who are not native speakers, have an easier time understanding those. And then what you could also do is take that same article and convert it into a spoken version and mm -hmm. specifically a, a spoken version that doesn't sound as terrible as the first versions of, of these, which are still quite robotic. You can do a lot better with the tools that are available now. Very nice. Interesting. Can you maybe like pick one or two projects that you have been working on like to make it maybe more concrete as well and to give a bit of the background that's and understand as well, like some of the technical parts of the implementations and, and, and exactly it was thriving and was like what kind of project those were? Mm -hmm. So I can't give you the specific company names, but I can tell you we worked for a education company in the Netherlands and basically what they wanted to do is to have a interface for educators so for professors at university or teachers lower levels where they can uh, basically have an ai assistant that can help them with different tasks and that system was based on an existing database that they already had of for example school books university textbooks mp3 formats for listening formats for for language courses and then what the educator can do is type in, for example, create a lesson plan for a one hour session on this specific topic. The system will then go into the database, look for the relevant information, and then based on the relevant information, generate that lesson plan. And beyond that, also show you all the relevant documents in a separate window in the front end, where you can open up all those relevant documents. You have, you have them sorted by document type. So for example, if you're a language session and it tells you in the instructions that for example the second part of the lesson is you do a listening activity then you can go to the mp3 part and only that relevant mp3 is there and you can immediately start playing it all from one interface mm -hmm. interesting can you then tell us a little bit about for example a project like this can you tell bit about, for example, how long did it take you, for example, um, in combination with the customer to implement this and like how much of this path, as you already said, was one where the customer in this sense 
education institution already knew what they wanted to have and like needed you for basically to implement it for them or how much was it like as you said a journey where the two of you were, were identifying like what needs to be done and then together came up with the solution um, it's always a mix of both but i would say in that case they already knew quite specifically what they wanted they they already have the data set and they they knew roughly what the final tool should look like but it's still a bit of back and forth of finding what exactly would be most useful for them in terms of timeframes it depends on kind of what stage you're looking at. So the first MVP where you can just have them play around with it and get initial experience is quite fast. I would say that takes roughly a month. Um, mm-hmm. Could be even faster depending on how polished it should be at that level. And then what we usually do is once you have that already built, the client can experiment with it, give you feedback, and then you start building the, the final product from there. And depending on, on how... you yeah, how involved the project is or how, how polished the final thing should be. And maybe some other features come in that could take longer or shorter. But I would say in that case, I think it was roughly another two months or three months overall. Interesting. And can you then tell us like which part was, let's say, the large language models in this and which were there, the parts of, of, of this implementation that were like crucially depending on the large language models and where was the added value in this particular use case? So in, in that case, it was in actually understanding the inputs by the user in natural language and then also generating outputs in, in the chat part of the whole tool. And yeah, the the added value is that you actually combine that language model with the existing resources and make them more accessible. Because if you would, for example, just use something that's readily available right now with ChatGPT, you could even make your own ChatGPT and upload documents there, but it's not as good at retrieving the relevant information. I have to say, I'm, I myself am not the technical person on the team. I'm more on the business side. Mm-hmm. Um, can't give you too too like too in-depth detail of the technical aspects but basically the way that we handle it in this case is that the documents are stored in a vector database that make them easily searchable and then once you have that relevant information it's you can get much better responses from the language model Mm -hmm. Um, what you can also do is you can directly see uh, what sources information is taken from and you can even source it within your final output. Mm-hmm. I think as you already pointed out, right, this is, as you said, like a typical way where we would apply a REC, a retrieval augmented generation system in this sense, and like being able to identify the relevant or interesting information for a request in order to then provide it as part of the request to a large language model in order to, to get responses. Can you maybe tell us a little bit and because I think that that's going to be like the main part in any rate of the episode, as you said, like contrasting a bit like the, the open source offerings, possibilities with the commercial offerings. Can you tell us a little bit about from, from your experience and what you see then, what are some of the requirements on the customer side into able to be then using the systems, right? I mean, what you have been describing now, as you said, the customer already had, of course, the data, they had some idea. I guess they need certain types of infrastructure even, right, in order for you to be building something that fits into what they what they have. And so... As we already said, we, we want to contrast a little bit open source, although we haven't talked about it yet. Let's have it down the road. And on the other side, let's say the using large language service providers like OpenAI or uh, um, 
uh, other ones entropic for example there's a contrast here which are very easy to use they expose simple apis that you can use with your simple web application but let's maybe say before even going there in many ways from your experience and when you have talked as well like to customers maybe even to austrian customers many ways what what is needs already to be there within those companies in order to start, let's say, an, a, an AI solution that's built on top of large language models. So irregardless of whether they want to do it with open source models or... Um... We can already, if, if, if you want, we can definitely already talk there and distinguish between okay. these two options. But I would imagine that like using large language model providers is, is the first easier step because you need less expertise, infrastructure and similar things to start out with. So for example, yep. let's start with the large language model providers and then think, let's talk about what is needed to have your own models and open source models, for example. Mm -hmm. So in, you said you asked what, what is needed within those companies. I would say, in general, an, an openness to experiment with, experiment with new technologies and try things out and see how they can benefit from it. Also, I would say some sort of understanding of how these things actually work from a technical perspective, at least to a, a small degree, is necessary. Because if they don't have that, it is very difficult for them to even see the possibilities. So if, if they don't have that already, then the first step is that you educate them in a way to kind of open their eyes of what is possible. Because something that I've noticed is that uh, some people in some companies, they, they don't even realize how much easier their lives could be with those new tools because they, they don't even, they can't even imagine the possibilities yet because they don't have that basic understanding of what could be done. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the, the first thing that I think is, is very important that you get people in your own organizations to have in order to then take advantage of those things. So the awareness and the mindset to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't have to go very deep into the technical level, but just a general awareness of what things are possible and also how you can potentially combine multiple of these tools. So something that I mentioned earlier, you can combine a language model with text to speech, and then you suddenly have a completely different product. And if you combine that again, with voice to text, you can have an earpiece and combine it with a database. You can have an earpiece, ask your assistant a question about all the information in your database, and you have a voice speaking back to you, um, whatever you wanted to know. And that's completely different to just having a chat interface without any database in the background, which mm -hmm. doesn't help your company. And then you just kind of build up and every, every piece that you build in that building um, just makes it better, the final product. And yeah, that's why I think that that basic technical understanding or not just not actually technical understanding, just understanding of capabilities and how they can stack on top of each other is crucial. Mm -hmm. Then for the other question, whether they want to do things open source or proprietary models or uh, yeah, bought models with just through APIs, I think there's also a bit of an issue right now of lack of awareness that I think some companies don't even think about it that much. Bigger companies do generally think about it because they, they do run through compliance checks and then they're like, well, wait a minute, what about the data? Should we just put that on our own server then? And that's that's when you get into those conversations more where they actually say, okay, we, we do want an open source model that's run on our servers, maybe even on-premise, depending on the use case. If it's if they're very concerned about security and privacy, then you might want to do that. 
But I think most companies don't even ask themselves that question, which mm-hmm. is why it's also important that for us, we actually even make them aware that that's a possibility. I see. Maybe we can talk about this a little bit more first, like what are the motivations of what you have seen? Why companies are thinking about like either, as you said, like directly using APIs provided, for example, by by, you know, by a provider like OpenAI or like um, think about self-hosted options. You pointed out, right, that certain compliance uh, motivations Certain motivations are compliance in this sense, like being aware of like that they have regulations to obey to bigger companies about, for example, customer data and how this customer data is used. Is this the main motivation or other motivations like, for example, having the possibility to change models or the possibility, for example, to maybe have different cost structure in when having self-hosted options? What are some of the motivations there when, when you talk to companies? If, and as you said already, if you bring even like the awareness to them that they could, for example, self-host some options, how do you contrast this to? If you talk to a customer, what from your perspective is like, what are the benefits of making use of a service provider or what are the, of the benefits of, for example, self-hosting, self-tuning, fine-tuning models? Yeah, I think it might actually not necessarily be that it's that they would already have to do that for compliance reason. I think it might just be a, a precaution because a lot of these things are still very new and the regulation is only coming out. So it's they I think they might just be worried and just to future proof the thing they they would want to err on the on the safe side. But what can be very useful with using just for example an OpenAI API is for initial testing. So for building a prototype, it just makes the whole process a lot faster. And you can very quickly see, okay, what can the final tool then actually do for us? And once you're at that point, you can then still decide what route you want to go down for the final product. But it just makes the, the iteration a lot faster. What else did you ask? Um, as you said, like some of the motivations as well. I mean, definitely speed is, is from, from your developing perspective is something, right? If you already have the possibility, for example, to just use an endpoint to get excellent quality models makes complete sense to me. And as you said, like regulations that maybe might not be the first one, but in this sense, like when you approach, as you said, already many, as I understood, like many of, of the customers for, for them, the topic of like maybe using large language models for automation, or as you said, like to make their lives easier is a new topic. Although, for example, in general process automation is something that has been around for a long time. This sense, large language models are there to just a newest technology that helps you with automation, but just to reiterate a bit on, on this contrast between like, if you, for example, as a, someone who is developing solutions for customers, mm-hmm. it mentions like when you approach a new customer, a new project in many ways, what I, what helps you to decide that it will like to nudge maybe the customers in one or the other direction. So as you already pointed out for prototyping, making use of large language models provided by, for example, OpenAI, it's a fast way to get started, but as you already pointed out, right, if you then want to move maybe into more production of the product, like in order to, for example, how much of a trouble it is then to even, for example, then shift towards an, an a self-hosted option. I think it depends a lot on what capabilities specific client has internally already. So if they have experience with managing their own self-hosted solutions, then it will probably be quite simple for them to switch or yeah, just do that. If they don't, if it's more of a smaller company or they don't have a lot of technical expertise in-house, 
it could also be a bit of a risk to do that because then you're responsible for your own uptime. So if, if something goes wrong, they basically have to make sure that yeah, the model is available all the time. Whereas if you go with a paid solution through an API, then OpenAI is responsible for making sure they, they have the uptime and they're available. Uh, and also, if you if you go with your own models, uh, you have to think about things like safekeeping, which OpenAI did to a very strong degree. I think sometimes they're even going too far in terms of just censoring things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is one of the, the benefits that uh, companies might also see in OpenAI, that there's already a lot of work put into making the model very, very safe for work, uh, which if you do an open source solution, you would have to check uh, to what degree that uh, solution is ensuring that and if there might be any workarounds because OpenAI has the benefit that a lot of people are using it and a lot of people are trying to also get around the restrictions and they can yeah already see a lot of the ways that people are trying to do that and counteract them. Whereas um, some of the open source models, they might have not even had the opportunity to exper- experiment around with that or maybe they just didn't even want to do that because it might just be from the open source community where they want to keep it as free as possible and, and uncensored. I see. But then maybe from your perspective, as you said, like with building solutions, implementing solutions as well for companies, and then, for example, building on top, as you said, of, of OpenAI, in this sense, how much of a, as you already pointed out, right, OpenAI, for example, is, is guard, is put certain guardrails around the models a certain ways, how they behave, how they respond and similar. And open source on the other side, as you said, like depending on what kind of models you're using, they can be very free to be, be, be used for any kind of purpose. So in this sense, like if you as, as in a company like yours adapting, creating solutions, particular solutions for customers, how much of, of freedom of adapting and, and changing, for example, the, the model behavior does something like OpenAI provide you compared to, for example, an, an open source model. So is there enough possibility to con, to tune, configure, modify? Is that like the open eyes, for example, provided endpoints to a certain extent compared to an open, to an open source solution? Because right, as with the GPTs, for example, that open eye has released as well, they're going more and more in the direction of giving the possibility to, for example, be even to fine tuning and similar. So they try to, to, to be a platform more and more where you can have certain modifications that you can build on top and around their services. How is your perspective on like, like, as I said, like how, how much much flexibility do you have building on top something like OpenAI compared and required to like if you have your open source models? Uh, I would say it depends on the use case. I think for a lot of use cases, you actually don't even need that much flexibility on the model itself because if you if you just want to make simple changes and basically the the way that um, a certain persona that's speaking to the end user sounds, you can very easily do that with just just injecting that into your prompt that you're sending to the API. So, yeah, for for a lot of use cases, I don't think you actually need that much fine tuning or actually even doing your own model in terms of the behavior, because like I said, a a lot of the the use cases we've had so far are a rack system in in which the language model, the main purpose of it is to understand the natural language inputs and then to generate an output in natural language. And there's not really that much of a need to tweak that that much further than what you can do with just defining that in your prompt. Mm-hmm. I see, I see. And as you already pointed out, right, for example, in a REC use case, as you said, right, the, the responsibility of the large language model is to understand the request and like summarize maybe information that was provided 
in a context that was relevant for this. But then looking at like, have you, from your experience, for example, contrasted this with like, with open source models in this sense? Have, have you, have you seen like, do the, the different open source models, are they sufficient in this type of task? Are they good enough? to be able to use for, for, for as you said, like, for example, a use case, a use case that you have been describing before, for example, with the educational institute that you have, have been mentioning before, do you see like, and let's say a capability gap, a significant gap between like the, the provided open or the open source models and the LLM provided models there, which hinder, for example, the application, their use in, in certain applications? Mm, I, I would say you can you can use open source models for that just as well, as long as you yeah do some research into which specific model that you use. I unfortunately can't tell you right now which specific models we used in, in that case. I would have to check with the guys that were working on the specific project. Uh, yeah, but in general, you should not be an issue to in terms of the, the actual outputs that you get. You might notice some sort of quality differences but it's it's also a question even even if you do use open ai you might not even need gpt4 for example for mm -hmm. each use case it might be enough to go with gpt 3.5 and or even an older model and just save quite a lot in in your api costs because yeah you if your use case doesn't require all of the advanced capabilities and it's just very basic text understanding and generating a nice output uh, you you don't even need to go to the higher capabilities mm -hmm. yeah makes sense I, I'm, I'm just thinking about use cases that, that came up for example uh, that i've seen lately which for example go around for example customer support or customer service for example and and when i'm talking to people like there's at least one part of that is always saying that like the more let's say the more accurate and the more high quality responses they get the better in their use case so the, you save money with it you can do more automation you you can be more effective and all in this sense they are always interested in let's say having the best possible model mm -hmm. because this will always translate to to better performance of the system the general in this sense like if the element providers I guess it's definitely the case at the moment. GPT-4 is still definitely the best model that we have. And in, in all the metrics that I know of, then they would always go for that. In, the, in this sense, like if, if you want to, in this sense, the idea, you don't want to pay, let's say, main for the capability gap between an LLM provider, as provided solution and open source model. Mm -hmm. um, I, I could definitely see that being the case for, for those use cases in, in customer service. We haven't had a use case like that yet, so I can't tell you from our own experience how the comparison would look like, but I would see that being the case. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe like we have been talking about LMs at the, at the moment and like there was the focus mostly like implicitly on text and as you said already the rec system there often they are used like in, in a text setting but you have we have like the multimodal LLMs coming up and with GPT vision as well having a lot of having now vision support I know that for example if you build your own rec system as I did for example myself as well then depending on if you build your own or if, if you're building on for example Llama Index or other frameworks in this area they already start to support as well multimodal and, and possibilities to combine text and images from your perspective where do you see like the manifest maybe the possibilities of having multimodal language models or models in general um, 
in, in, in your interactions with your customer in the area of, for example, automation and helping them to, to make the processes better and faster. Mm -hmm. So one example is a potential client that we've been talking to, which are like that company is one of those example companies who basically know that they could do something interesting, but they don't know exactly. And we're kind of figuring out with them together use cases that could benefit them a lot. And basically they, they create appliances. And one idea that they had for basically that turning point when those multimodal model, multimodal models get better is when say a customer has a problem with their appliance, there's, there might be an error code, there might be no error code at all. And it's just an issue instead of going to their support, writing them a message, all of that, and maybe a technician coming over. What the customer could do, do instead is they have some sort of interface, for example, an app where they take pictures of the appliance of what's not working, maybe add some text describing it. That gets sent um, into their system. Then the model can also process the images, compare that with their database of, of known issues that happen quite frequently or just in general with their documentation of all of their appliances and can give the customer a guide on what they should do and what steps they should take to actually fix the appliance. So for example, if you have a, a dishwasher and it's not working, you take a picture, it says, okay, looking at our advice for this quite common issue, have you checked that you cleaned everything, that you've cleaned the filters? Is the issue the same if, if you fully load it or if it's only half loaded? Have you tried separating the dishes and does that issue still happen then? And you can step-by-step -step guide the customer through that whole experience, it's a lot faster than just having them go through the website, search that up, search that information up, and then have a guide maybe on the website and it's a lot more personalized. And then directly within that same interface, you can, if necessary, then have them routed into an, maybe an already existing system for, for booking in a server technician who can come over and take a look in person if that's necessary. I see. Actually, I was, I was, I'm personally as well, like looking into a similar use cases in, in, in the customer service area, but I'm just curious about your perspective on in, in which way, or like at the moment, as I understand it correctly, as, as I said, like there is a lot of possibility to like take the this new technology, take the language models with the multimodal capabilities and build something that, that, uh, that extends in many ways, the existing processes, the existing solutions, for example, in customer service here to be supportive. I'm curious from your, what, what is your perspective and, and looking a bit ahead. So there are a lot of, for example, customer service platforms already in place that companies are using that, for example, at the mobile don't use large language models. They don't use multimodal capabilities in many ways. So my expectation is that, of course, those, those solutions that will be by the different vendors will be right. They will add their own support of large language models in, in many ways. So. The question is a bit tricky, but it goes in the direction of like, what do you think is how, for example, companies like yours or similar that are focusing on applying LLMs in many ways for custom solutions to, uh, to companies? Uh, is the, how much, how much will this space change now over the following years where, where, for example, many existing software will probably be augmented by the, by the, by the providers with LMM capabilities. So how much space is there many ways? Will there be of like custom solutions that you build? You just rely on like having your software that you already have in place, be getting some LLM support by whoever you provide it from. Mm -hmm. 
I do agree with you. I think a, a lot of those existing providers will implement that. And I think those that don't will probably not survive because at some point the customers will just want that and expect that. I, I do still see an added value that companies like ours can then still provide at that point, even if, if that's already implemented, because it's still only for one specific system. So it's, for example, you have a customer service solution, and then maybe your CMS has a tool like that. But if you want to have something more comprehensive that combines maybe multiple data sources, or you just have something very specific, a very specific use case, and you want to deeply integrate it with your existing business processes, that can be a lot trickier. And that's maybe something that, that even those individual companies can do because it's, yeah, like I said, it might be a combination of multiple tools that you use in your business and you want to um, basically stack them together and, and build a central platform that's very unique to your tech stack. Mm -hmm. I see. Please, it's like, to me, this sounds as well like you take more or less like the magic out of, of maybe or the machine learning, the AI part out of the system and it becomes more or less, as you said, like, an established technology that, that you wouldn't focus in many ways on integrating into existing systems more than in, in this sense, like you come back to, like, as you said, like, for example, as a implementation partner in many ways, which is mostly focused on exactly finding ways to integrate something you want particular components in this sense, for example, an LLM and, and certain capabilities there into an existing system in, in an existing infrastructure. And also what we're thinking of doing is basically taking the experiences that we're getting now from what use cases are yeah, demanded a lot and where companies are willing to pay for. Mm -hmm. And then also thinking of ways to generalize that and basically being able to offer a more productized solution that you can readily implement. That will be difficult for a lot of use cases, but there might be some where that is actually possible to generalize it enough. But also that, that aspect that I said that it is difficult to generalize, uh, basically speaks for us also being able to build custom solutions in the future because some things are just very difficult to to generalize over the tech setup of, of different companies mm -hmm. true definitely and it's a very quickly moving market as well and i think one has to it's not easy to maybe always adapt and and like find the right spot there before we maybe close is there something that we haven't covered about tech and and your work that you would like to mention and to talk about um, not about the uh, textures, but the uh, fun fact of also something that uh, kind of sparked my interest in the capabilities of the language model. So in that initial testing phase, I think it was still back with research access. I was on holiday with friends and we had a discussion about art. Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe you want to give your definition of what do you think is art? It would be What is art? Um, yeah. I think it's an opener. It's a very open topic, but in general, art. I think is is something that not necessarily follows a specific purpose. It is something that can inspire people and can be a combination of uh, it gives people pleasure on the side, maybe induces feelings and, and strong reactions in people. So that definition necessarily means that to you art is subjective because it could induce something in you which it doesn't mm -hmm. induce. And basically, that's the discussion that we had. And, and most of the group agreed that art is something subjective. Um, but we had one person who said that at least for fine art, there is some sort of objective standard. Mm -hmm. And that disagreement was then thinking, okay, let's just ask this language model tool what it would generate. There was, yeah, before the whole chat interface, there was just with like input output box. And 
yeah, that was the first step. And then second thing that we did is we had it right from the perspective of, of a philosopher. And then the third step was to take a philosopher who questions a historical person. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what better person to pick for that than Socrates, who's known for asking questions until people get annoyed and they don't have an answer anymore. And uh, we did that with a few historic people mm -hmm. and had a lot of fun doing it. And then at that point, I actually realized that that's, uh, at, the, at the time was the, the perfect concept for a book written by language models. Okay. And uh, yeah, basically and decided to actually turn it into a full-fledged book. Because back then you didn't have big context windows. You wouldn't be able to generate an entire book that's like making sense. Um, but with kind of having that theme, having that focus lens of always having uh, the, the theme of, uh, of Socrates questioning someone, you mm -hmm. have consistency throughout the book, but it's still always just kind of short stories of two to three pages. And it also makes it nice to read because you can just read through one of the stories. And basically, what I think that's interesting is because it raises also a lot of philosophical questions. I know your podcast is more focused on the technical aspects, mm -hmm. but I do think it might also be interesting for people to to think about philosophical implications of of those tools that come up now, where you think about, for example, am I allowed to to call myself an author now? Uh, it's tricky. Well, definitely publisher and editor, because we did make some minor edits. We didn't edit too much because we wanted to kind of show the state of the art and also mm -hmm. show implications. But it raises a lot of yeah, philosophical and also uh, questions on a societal level might be a bit of food for thought. Sure, and, definitely. And have you released that book? Um, yeah, we actually released it as well. It's called Converse Conversations Plato Never Captured because yeah, Socrates never wrote anything himself. It was mm -hmm. Plato wrote about him. And because all those conversations are just made up by AI, um, it's converse yeah, conversations never captured, but an AI did with the subtitle. Very with, nice. So. I will definitely make sure to include it in the show notes. But with this, um, then just last uh, closing questions I have just for my uh, my guests at the moment. It's like you can really choose how, how to answer them to what step. But then like think about what are you most proud about your work that you have been doing up to now? With? And with textures on one side, what what are you currently happy about to work on, and how are you looking? What are you looking forward to? Mm -hmm. um, I think I, I've, I'm just proud of the progress that we've made. It's been a turbulent journey. Like I said, initially our idea would have been to have a, a software platform, and then kind of that shift towards more of the consulting and implementation work. And I think we've done that shift very well, and the way we're running things right now. Uh, also works really well and also something that a lot of people ask me about when they um, I tell them a bit about the company is that they're quite surprised that we're quite a big team from the very start and that's also something I'm very proud of of having found a, a good structure for keeping such a large team together mm -hmm. um, and well. nice very good well with this Marcus I want to thank you very much for coming on to the show and uh, share your experience that you have and like your path so far i wish you all the best going forward and uh, wish you a nice day thank you very much <laughs>